0: hello and welcome to the program my name is luke hunt this is another podcast with the diplomat and with me today is a young american lady by the name of amy we'll leave her last name out of this because she works for unbound now and one of her priorities is to basically travel across asia and organize rescue efforts for people who have been trafficked into what has become known As some of the great trafficking scams of the century, really. It's extraordinary what's happened. Amy, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you so much.
0: Take me through what you do.
1: Sure. So our our organization kind of works in multiple different places. We're based in the US, um, but we also have several offices internationally. We have three throughout Asia, Mm -hmm. one in Europe, and We kind of focus on three different areas of kind of the trafficking spectrum. We do prevention, so uh, just trying to educate, awareness, help kind of root causes of trafficking. And then we do professional training. So that's working with law enforcement or teachers or social workers or different people to help them respond to trafficking in their own communities. And the third thing we do is survivor advocacy. So we work, depending on the context and where we are, we work to kind of help address the needs of
0: survivors. And what we're looking at are uh, basically Asians who have been trafficked by Asians into these compounds up on the Myanmar border. Sihanouk in Cambodia was quite famous for it, particularly last year. Mm -hmm. And during COVID, parts of Thailand, uh, Golden Triangle.
1: Yeah, so this is a a really interesting development that's been happening, I think, really a lot since post-COVID, right? You've been having these digital recruitments that are happening and you've got transnational organized crime networks that are, you know, inviting Uh, people to come to different parts throughout Southeast Asia, to big meccas, to have a job, to work. And a lot of these people are not poor villagers. They are educated people who are, have maybe worked internationally before. You know, we're hearing of reports of people working through brokers in Dubai or in different places globally Mm. and are coming from all, I mean, really all over the globe and are coming in for jobs. And they're recruited based on jobs for, you know, cryptocurrency or possible teaching jobs or various things come and make a lot of money and they get here and they get to generally, I mean, I'm hearing Bangkok, sometimes in Yangon, they're getting to certain places and then they are taken from there and there's various different kind of avenues in which people are recruited. Some are recruited from Eastern Europe and so they're recruited more as models and mm. more as people that are you know, they're they're told, hey, take all these photos, uh, go shopping. They're given loads of money and then they're flown back into the border and then they're taken across the border into Myanmar. They're put up in a house. They're treated a little bit better than some people, but they are they're basically the face of these scams. Right. Then you have people coming in from all different areas that are recruited and are, again, taken across the border, pay their own way. So they've already paid a, a tremendous expense mm-hmm. to get there. And then they're put in lo- housing and lodging, but then they are told they're given basically training by the their bosses on how to set up every social media account, every dating profile. They're given uh, these these things to know how to basically scam. They're literally trained by their by their bosses. Here's how you scam. And often it's a date it's a dating scam. So it could be a Kenyan man that is there and he's trained to do this. And so from five, I think it's from 5 PM to 7 AM, they are kept in this facility where they are on their profiles all day, trying to build relationships with men, generally men all over the world in different places. And they're pretending to be these models. They're pretending to be these women. And therefore they build these relationships and develop all these relationships. And Mm -hmm. These women are acting like they're incredibly wealthy, have lots of money, and then as the relationship develops, they're told, you know, what? Um, where do you get all your money from? And they're right. like, oh, I invest in this cryptocurrency, or I invest in this thing. And so then the victim on the other side is saying, not the the Kenyan victim, but the victim in America or the UK or different places Mm -hmm. are told, great, well, why don't I invest in there? And normally there's a small return. They invest a small amount of money, they get a return back, so they think this is legit. But then, little by little, they get them on the hook, and then over, over a long period of time, they um, will give large amounts of money. And so we're hearing hundreds of thousands of dollars and millions of dollars that are invested. And once that happens, they are cut off contact, and that money right. is, is taken. So that's basically the scam aspect of it. Mm-hmm. There's a whole different side of what's actually happening with these victims on the ground. I think a lot of people want to be angry at, oh, these scammers. We talk about them like they're, you know, Mm -hmm. um, like they're scammers and they're doing something wrong. But what we're hearing reports of are you're paid a small amount and you can make more money. That's why it's really hard to even prove exploitation in some ways because they are technically promised a salary and paid a salary. And depending on how much they scam, they get more money. But they are not free to go. They you have to pay for like a, a, a thing of noodles is like eight dollars for them to pay for that.
0: So like bummer's noodles. Yeah, yeah, like what yeah. costs fifty
1: cents, you know. Right. Um, and then if you sit back in your chair, you're fine. If you cross your legs, you're fine. If you want to take a break that you're not when you're not owed a cigarette break, you're fine. So it's almost indentured servitude in that way. They can never pay off the debt that they owe. Mm-hmm because of all of these fines. And then if they refuse to work, that's when it gets that's when it gets really dangerous. In the
0: old days, uh, when young village girls were sold into sexual servitude, sure. uh, one of the scams was the Mama Sans would charge them for everything, in right. the sense that uh, that bottle of shampoo cost $8. Yes, you know, yes. You drank so much wor- of water, yes. you've made so many phone calls, and they're racking up these bills. Yep. And the poor kids, I mean, they don't know which way to turn. Right. And the stories that are coming out of these compounds are quite horrific. Yeah. Uh, people jumping out of buildings yes. or being pushed. Yes. I heard One story in Myanmar where one chap had his foot chopped. Yeah. yeah tell me a little bit more.
1: Yeah, I mean, I th- so that, that specific story was actually a case we were involved with where this Indian gentleman wanted to leave. He asked his boss, can I leave? Can I, can I, I would like to break my contract. And they said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he said, okay, i like the money that I'm owed. And so they're like, oh, we'll work with these brokers. I hear that there's brokers in Vietnam or different places that will help negotiate. So they're in that process. And then basically whoever comes in says, actually, you can't leave, chops off his foot, handcuffs him to the wall. And this is in front of the rest of the people. So that they now know if you want to leave, this is what happens to you. So high, high threat of violence. And then what we're hearing in some places is... It's not just these compounds where they're scamming. These are just like central places for every vice you can imagine. So people are coming in, there's casinos, but it's not just gambling, it's the darkest of the dark. So you've got, you know, torture for, inter- like torture for entertainment. You can pay for that. You've got what we hear of baby, what we would call term baby factories where mm. certain individuals are coming in, they're paying local girls to impregnate them mm-hmm. 50,000 baht for a baby that then they take back to their home country or organ harvesting. We've heard reports of if you want to leave, you don't have the money to pay what is owed. You can pay us with a kidney.
0: How serious is organ harvesting? I don't want to play it down, but we had certain videos which were deemed as fake circulating mm. out of, uh, in Cambodia. Yeah. And, uh, My God, it's horrific when you look at the evidence, but it's been very difficult to prove. Uh.
1: I think that's in general something that's Mm. a little bit challenging in the human trafficking sphere in general because it operates so in the dark. Um, and so secretive. So even data sometimes is difficult to prove. But we are hearing, we're getting multiple reports of people just in this one area coming out and cooperating this story. I mean, I heard firsthand testimony from somebody who rescued somebody who said, no, I paid with my kidney. And then we're hearing it again and again that that is, that's a kind of a regular thing that's, again, not everybody. Some sure. people are jumping. Some people are running. Sure. We have contacts on the ground that are saying. The other other interesting thing that's happening in Myanmar is they're being told you can't leave. There's a war going on outside. So you'll get shot. This army will shoot you if you leave, which is not necessarily accurate. And so when our people get on the phone with some of these victims, we're saying run, you know, and it's it's often a, you know, 200 meter dash across the river, you know, it's not that far Mm -hmm. from, from the border. So that's certain places. Some of them are a little bit more North more in the jungle, more on other borders that are a little bit more dangerous and a little bit harder to harder to get access to. We're hearing more reports of that being a little bit more sinister, what's happening in those places.
0: How difficult or how easy have you found the authorities in terms of orchestrating uh, rescue operations? Mm-hmm. My reading is that Interpol has been trying mm-hmm. quite hard to stay on top of
1: mm-hmm. this
0: and there it seems to be operations going on between Interpol in various countries yeah. and local police forces on the ground, which may not necessarily involve permission. Let's call it say from Napidor um, in Myanmar, right. operations are being carried out uh, on a very individual basis uh, yeah how, how are you dealing with the different types of authorities i mean
1: again we we may, our organization mainly just partners to support the local part of local NGOs that are on the ground right at the border and they have worked very hard and been there for many years to develop good relationships to be able specifically not in Myanmar to be able to help process people um but Obviously, the state of Myanmar right now makes this very, very challenging, whereas it was easier when you have more of a, um, a local government or local criminal justice system. What I will say is the Interpol thing has been really interesting. This specific case that we're referring to, they were very pivotal and very helpful. And they that in conjunction with, I believe it was the Indian military, mm. you know, kind of really forced the hand of some people in, in one particular state. And I think certain embassies and certain... Because the interesting thing is this is affecting not just citizens of certain countries, but it's also affecting citizens of the survivors and the trafficked, but also their citizens who are being scammed. And Mm -hmm. and so there's more. It's growing, and we want to see it grow. The incentive for other cooperation with Interpol, with embassies, different things like that. And what we found from our partner on the ground is if the embassy exists either in Thailand or different places, they're pretty motivated where they can help. And I was really encouraged by that one story with the local police force. Mm -hmm. I was actually shocked.
0: This was in Myanmar. In Myanmar. The rescue of about 12 people, I think. Yeah, no, I think it was... Indian,
1: Nepalese. I think it was seven. Was it... Right. uh, Yeah, it was seven. Yeah, Indian... Was it Nepalese or Sri Sri Lankan? And then some Indonesians. Okay. And that involved, yeah, local police. And in conjunction with, I think, military and Interpol, obviously, made some of the connections and were, were very willing to help and where they could. So, yeah, we found that to be encouraging, I think... More pressure is needed.
0: (laughs) Right. Uh, 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 Last year, um, 12 Asian embassies issued a statement telling... We will single this country out, telling Cambodia to get its act together Mm. in regards to human trafficking. And it was extraordinarily important from a diplomatic perspective because these countries don't comment on the internal affairs of their neighbours. Yeah. And they were issuing risk reports to their citizens about going yeah. to Cambodia.
1: Mm. And
0: this just hasn't happened before. It's mm. such a significant change in the whole trafficking
1: yeah. industry. Yeah.
0: And I, th- I think you were saying before we started recording about the digital nature yeah. of uh, trafficking and how that has changed yeah. what it is that they do. Right.
1: Yeah, I think before kind of what happened in your border, stayed in your border and, uh, you know, obviously there's always been transnational trafficking. There's always been child brides and across, there's always been hate traffic to this country, Asians traffic to America, I mean, that happens as well. But because of the digital nature of our world now and the digital nature of organized crime and how we can function at that level, the scope of this is unlike anything we've seen. I was talking to a contact recently on the border and they said, you know, this is, this is the worst human trafficking situation happening in the world right now with mm-hmm. the scanning that's happening just the because of sheer size and sheer number. And I think not only is the crimes happening digitally, the recruitment is happening digitally. And then you've got, this interesting notion that we actually know what's happening because they have access to their phone. That's something that's really unique about this.
0: It's quite immediate, it's very confronting when you have the uh, the parents of children who have been trafficked and they're holding a press conference in Kuala Lumpur. Yes. And they have the members of parliament there and they're calling their children who are basically being held hostage.
1: Yeah, normally when somebody's trafficked and held in in the way that these people are being held, you have no idea what's going on and your intelligence is very minor And that's, I mean, again, several of these cases are coming out because of Facebook, Facebook Messenger. Somebody's Mm. messaging somebody across the river, help me. And a lot of our intelligence is, oh, the sister of so-and-so said this because they're talking to each other. And so we know what's going on. We're not in the dark. Even law enforcement isn't in the dark of what's going on. But it's because of the complexity of where it's happening, Mm. getting in and out and getting local law enforcement to do something is challenging.
0: Um Sure, there's a lot you cannot say publicly because of operations that are ongoing. One does not want to put those operations sure. in jeopardy. But do the uh, do you have faith in the authorities from the sense that uh, they know who's responsible for this?
1: I believe so, yes. I don't know that they would be able to to say, oh, 100% this individual isn't involved. Mm-hmm. But I think from an organized crime, triad it's not I don't think it's I don't think it's difficult I just think the complexity of that politically and yeah yeah just geopolitically with what's going on because we're, we're
0: also under the impression that you know, say in Cambodia there was a ban on online gambling and then that coincided with uh, COVID right then there was a great Chinese exodus out of Southeast Asia and most people went home however a large criminal element did not they stayed behind yeah and towns like Sihanoukville, 1,100 half-made skyscrapers, which have been abandoned, mm-hmm. basically became their home. Uh, yeah. And uh, this seems to it kind of spawned from over the last two, three years.
1: I think for sure you seeing how they were operating in Cambodia has right. moved. They have just they've moved locations. Yep. And they are now operating on the other side of the border in Myanmar, where mm-hmm. there is less infrastructure less of a justice system, and are able to operate a little bit more freely. That's absolutely what you're seeing. I don't think that we're talking about different entities. I think it's just an expansion of those entities.
0: And dealing with Thailand across the border and into Myanmar, a uh, uh, very local, I would imagine places like Shui Coco, yeah. for example, I've heard it's big business there now. Yes. What was once a small village has uh, turned into a thriving Yeah. Yes. Criminal say? Yeah,
1: I mean enterprise. It's, it's, uh, yeah, I mean enterprise would be the right word. I think that's what I'm saying of the scope of this and the reality that it's just it's so close and yet it's feeding, yeah, the criminal activity of this region, and the access is is very easy. Well, that's what I'm surprised by is where, how people can get into this and, and what's taking place in these places. Yeah. Just as far as what, one of the things we're hearing is if you're, if you don't, you know, these, these victims that come in and have to scam, they're being threatened. If you do not comply, you can work here or you can go over to the, the brothel down the road and you can work there. And so it's just the, the level of deviancy and what's happening there. And it, it is, it is the amount of money that is flowing is staggering.
0: Yeah, could you ha- hazard a guess? How many people do you think have been trafficked over the last two, three years? Say since <laughs> COVID erupted, I, thousands?
1: Yes. I mean...
0: Tens of thousands?
1: Yes, yeah. I mean, again, I know of one particular... The numbers we're hearing of just one particular mm. site, 10,000 people. Whoa. In one site. And there's, there's and it's a, it's a large one, but there are many along the border and multiple
0: borders. On that basis, you'd be looking at yeah. 100,000.
1: I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't guess I if know, it's that no, high. It's, 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 it, yeah, and you don't want to throw the, you know, numbers, but um, it's a, it's a large amount. It, and it's interesting because some of them are there. We, I think it's important to say some of them are there by choice. Like they're not all now. They've learned to live with this.
0: This Stockholm position. syndrome.
1: I don't know if it's Stockholm <laughs> or um, well, it's better here than where I came from. Some of that situation yep. is happening. Or hey, I've learned I don't have any moral like. What we're hearing is the people that have come out or wanted to escape have some sort of moral compass about lying and scamming people. Whereas those that, that are staying, you know, I would look at them as victims. Obviously, they're not there. They were fraudulently brought Traffic, there. Yeah. Yes, trafficked there, but have either figured out a way to live there in peace. And, But I also think it, it's important to know, and this is something, the, their, their bosses on the ground at those places are also under the thumb of somebody else. Right so it goes up the chain of command in these criminal networks. Mm-hmm. So if if that boss doesn't produce the money that they that they're supposed to be they're going to they're going to they take keep it out the on their out. exactly. So it's it's all the way it's from the highest level down. So keep the dog. Yeah. Yeah. So it gives you a little bit of compassion because you hear about this, this, these things that they're doing to these victims, and yet you realize they're in some ways victims themselves, right? They're, whether it's their family that's being threatened or different things back home. or So it's just a very complex situation. But I think there are people that have learned to kind of live in the, the realities, know how to behave, know right. how to do your job, so it's fine. And they are making – there is the potential of making money. They're not working for nothing, right? So it's complicated. Even from a trafficking yeah. perspective, it's complicated, so.
0: What would you like to see happen next? The way it's evolved, it's something else. Yeah. And there is some justification when the authorities argue that they'll kind of, oh, jeez, what happened here? How do they get up to speed with that? How do they climb on top of it? Particularly if we're looking at Myanmar and across the border regions, which are basically almost the equivalent of a failed state. Nobody seems to have any authority there unless it's under the control of uh, one of the very many militias. Yeah, yeah.
1: I mean, what I would like to see is somebody to get in there, to there to be pressure put on politically and possibly tactically to address these centers to stop them from operating. That would be the best case scenario, is that these places are not allowed to operate. I think...
0: If you're you're pursuing them through the courts, is there a universal jurisdiction rule can that apply? I or does it have to I mean you obviously the chances of prosecuting yeah. in Myanmar
1: yeah.
0: are next to nothing. Yeah. As far as we know, there haven't there has not been any successful prosecutions in Cambodia to date. Yeah. I think the ties are probably much more on top of <clears throat> it. But where where do you prosecute? How do you put these bars? I mean I think but you're right because
1: and that's and, and in some ways that's why they've moved to Myanmar. Right. It makes sense for them to be there because there there is very little accountability. Mm -hmm. I think, again, with not having not knowing the Thai Thai court system super well, I would think that many of them are are being trafficked through Thailand. Mm. And so there could be some criminal or some legal legal prosecution that way. But I I, I'm not an expert in that field, so I don't know that I'd be able to speak to it. But I do think I don't know that International Criminal Court. Is the, is the right way to go about this. It's, it's, but, yeah. it's quite lofty. At it the is, moment. it I mean, is. I'm, yeah, not, yeah. I'm
0: not too sure if they want to step down to the sort of I know. grassroots levels, yeah. but if you look at the crimes they've prosecuted for over the years, when you, those big massive crimes, genocide, mass murder, crimes against humanity, well, we're looking at 100,000 people perhaps who have been trafficked. All of a sudden yeah. it's kind of like, what's going on here? Yeah. Are, are the right people paying attention? right.
1: Well, yeah, and I think even on a small scale, in this part of the world, generally the the system for justice for trafficking victims, is, it leaves much leaves some room to be like, sure. you know, we, we, need, we need to up that a little bit, right? And with the dynamics of smuggling, I think that's happening as well. Like there's that dynamic of people crossing borders and are they smuggled? Are they trafficked? Mm-hmm. I think certain governments are less, they're less incentivized, right, to to address this issue and that process from what i hear is at least an eight eight month process right. for a victim to go through to get any sort of justice well after they've been trafficked they're not in their home country they want to go home you know and so it takes a very specific victim to sit there and say i'm willing to sit here and and go through this process mm-hmm. and so most of them or what we're, what we're hearing is most of them are saying i just want to go home i
0: think the taiwanese have done a very good job mm. i mean they've been prosecuting the recruitment agencies at the ground level in Taipei who have been sending out the false advertisements, loading people up, putting them on planes and sending them over. However, I mean, Taiwan is a uh, first world country.
1: Yeah.
0: It has much higher standards than uh, particularly mainland Southeast Asia.
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I I hate to, uh, you know, be... Super cynical or negative, because I I, I I do think there's a way of there should be justice. I think we have a long way to go before you know what I mean. Before you're really able, before governments or people are actually able to prosecute this at the level. So I do think you need some international pressure and some international. Um, attention, which is one of the reasons why I'm doing this, right, is to mm. talk about it and put some eyes on this, because it's, it's not just impacting the mm. few the few countries that are right here in Southeast Asia, it's impacting citizens across the world, and uh, families from mm. all over the world that are, their their family members are in these places and being you know, being trafficked.
0: What's your advice for mm. people who have been trafficked, being held in a compound inside Myanmar, they might even... Mm-hmm. Hear the screaming jets of the junta yeah. flying over. Yeah. What's your advice to those people?
1: Yeah, I mean we're we're working on some strategies to actually get them information into who to contact. So I think the more pressure you can put on your home your home embassies, your home countries, Interpol I think contacting authorities and I think the mass flood the more the more information and the more uh, because again we've seen people respond it's not that it's not that home embassies are saying oh we don't we don't care they right. do care It's a it's a hell of an embarrassment for It me. is absolutely and so um and and we do need international pressure put on on those that are perpetrating these crimes right we, and so I think as much again, to what's safe. So that's the other issue. Depending on where you are, it can be very unsafe for them to reach out. And so they, there is a level of fear that they feel depending on what center they're in and what, what the conditions are there. We want to be really careful. But I think reaching out to various agencies, various NGOs, and your home country, again, it, it can't be discouraging because we've, we've heard reports of them saying, sorry, we can't help you. But again, the sheer scope of this, the more people you have mm. that report and say something's going on, the more willing they, I think, will be to, to intervene.
0: On a final note, you're looking for a job. You see an advertisement popping up online. What should you do?
1: Yeah. I mean, this is, this is where this is so important. Why, why this message and uh, to get this out because they are very organized. We're hearing reports of you're having Zoom interviews They're, they're not, it's not just I'm taking a job out of nowhere. These are educated people. So triple quadruple check. If you don't know somebody on the ground, uh, that's had this job, I would, I would be very, very, um, hesitant to take a job in this region of the world right now. Anything dealing with online, I think, especially if you end up coming anytime you hand over any that you should never be handing over a document your passport you should hold on to those things but I think as you can do uh you know triple checks on the jobs and, and where they are and who are these brokers doing checks on the brokers where are they coming from how do we know them but not just checking not just trusting one source or two sources because these networks have brokers on the ground in these countries that are recruiting people sometimes it's Close uh, contacts and close family members, even you know that are that are involved in this. So um, the biggest thing I can say is to yeah double triple quadruple check, even checking with local embassies or local local law enforcement. Is this is this legitimate? Yes, you just want to you want to make sure right. as best, as best you can.
0: I guess at the end of the day. If it sounds too good to be true, yeah. it probably is. It
1: probably is. The amount of money that they're talking about you making is probably not realistic in in a war zone. <laughs>
0: um, yeah,
1: so um, it probably is not, not legitimate.
0: Right. Thank you very much. It's been a lovely chat.
1: Thank you so much. And good luck. Thank you.